0: We're looking today at Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna do a topical message, which means we're gonna jump all over the scripture. Uh, And so we're gonna look at the sonship of the Lord Jesus. He's called the Son of many things, isn't he, in Scripture? He's the son of Abraham, the Son of God, the Son of Man. We're gonna look at those titles today. We're gonna start out with Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. explain the significance of each one of these titles Matthew chapter 22 verses 20 or verse 42 22 42 through 46 and let's stand and read this together and oh the lord always outsmarts the opposition. He outsmarts the disciples. He outsmarts us. I love this passage. And the Pharisees were gathered together, verse, verse 41, to ask him something. And he says to them, saying in verse 42, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's a reference to the 102nd Psalm, or 110th Psalm. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Boy, he just outwitted those Pharisees, didn't he? He's near the end of his ministry, and he put them to rest once and for all on questions and challenging him. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this ugly, evil world. Help us, Lord, to understand these things, clear up any misunderstandings about the Sonship of Jesus Christ, and help us to make a practical application to our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4, I, I love this question. He said, what is his son's name if thou canst tell? Proverbs 30, verse 4. The last part of the verse says, what is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? Isn't that interesting? What is his name? What is his son's name? The Trinity is seen throughout Scripture. And in Psalm 110, the Lord says unto my Lord, and you have clearly the teaching of a triune God there, and throughout scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Way back in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God, and the word Elohim is plural. And it goes on to say, let us make man in our image, Jesus and God talking, and the spirit moved upon the face of the waters. And you see throughout scripture this matter of the Lord Jesus Christ, seen long before Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says, For unto us a child is born. And it goes on to say he should be called the everlasting father. Now, pastor, I don't understand that. Hey, we don't understand all things. We trust and have faith in his word, even when we don't understand it. So he's called the the son of God, the son of David, the son of many here in the Bible. And we're going to look at these today. First of all, Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. The first one we're going to look at is Mark 6.3. And we'll look at the son of David momentarily. But Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. Here, in Mark 6.3, <clears throat> the Bible says, Is not this the carpenter's son, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And why not his sisters why are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But the question here, is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary? The son of Mary. And we know all about the virgin birth, but why is he called the son of Mary? Because it expresses or emphasizes his humanity. See, Jesus Christ was a human being. Now, a perfect human being, we understand that. But he was a son of Mary. His humanity is clearly seen in Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, got tired. He got hungry. I mean, on a a hot day, he he would sweat. He needed to take a bath. He needed to do everything you need to do on a daily basis, but he never sinned. You can imagine being a carpenter's son, he understood what it meant to smash his thumb or to pull a splinter out. We know he, he got weary from travels. There's times he just needed to get away from people. He was fully human, yet without sin. In um, Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, Luke chapter 1, we'll go to about 10 verses today, Luke chapter 1 verse 35, another word on this, I like this, it says here, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So here... He's the son of Mary. He's also the son of God. And this interesting, I really turn here for you to see one word here. This word overshadowed. It's an interesting word. It means to envelope, to imprison, to shut in, to protect. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus Christ was in Mary's womb, he was protected and surrounded by God. Nothing could affect that pregnancy. I mean, he was a virgin born, the Holy Spirit planted that seed, and God would protect him, her womb, from any influence. You know the devil would want to kill Jesus. He's been trying to kill Jesus for thousands of years. Do you know why the, the devil tried to kill all the babies in Moses' era? Because Moses was going to be a deliverer, and Satan thought, well, maybe that's the one. And when they killed all the two-year-olds in Bethlehem, that was because the devil put in Herod's mind that he'd be replaced, but the devil wanted to kill all the babies because if he killed them all, Jesus would be eliminated. So there's no doubt God has always overshadowed the Lord Jesus when he was a child, a young infant. And, uh, you know, obviously if he's not of the Holy Spirit, he's illegitimate. So God protected him in the womb. The seed was planted by the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 23, 2 says, no bastard shall enter the congregation of of God. No bastard shall enter the house of God. So he had to be born without sex, and and he was born of a virgin. And so it's clearly taught that he's the son of Mary. He's fully human, yet a virgin. And then we want to look at Luke 5, since we're there, verse 24. Luke 5, 24. We want to look at the second title, and this is one I've mentioned in the past. Of course, uh, I I say that about everything, but chapter 5, verse 24, we find here he's called the Son of Man. And this is a little bit different than the humanity we talked about earlier. He says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said unto this man sick of the palsy. I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. But notice he calls himself the Son of Man. And that is really referring to his incarnation. It includes the deity, that he was God and man, the deity side of that. But it's really more about the incarnation. Um, He's called the Son of Man 196 times in the Bible. It's a very important title. Moses and Job were the first to call him Son of Man. We're not sure which book is the oldest, the Pentateuch or Job, both very old. But both called him the Son of Man. David called him the Son of Man. Ezekiel called him the Son of Man 93 times. Scholars say Ezekiel is the book that really emphasizes the God-man. Isaiah called him the Son of Man. Uh, Jeremiah called him the son of man. Daniel referred to him a couple of times as the son of man. And scholars quote Daniel, and Daniel's been referred to in the New Testament many times because he was one who called Jesus the son of man. His attributes are are many. He's omniscient, meaning he's uh, all-knowing. He knows everything. You know, when my kids were teens, they knew everything. When I was a teen, I knew everything. I was, I told you, I was a shock between being a teenager and hitting 21 to find out in those few years how much my dad had learned. Uh, Obviously, I'm joking. But we think we know everything as a teenager. As we get older, we realize, you know, dad really had some words of wisdom, you know. My kids have made jokes to me over the years about how smart I've become and how I didn't used to know things and now I've learned, you know. Uh, But he was also omnipresent, which meant he could be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Can you imagine that? That's our Lord. He was all-powerful and potent is the word. He was eternal. The Lord could walk through a wall and surprise the disciples. He could disappear on the Sea of Galilee, just vanish out of their sight. That's our Lord. He had all the attributes of God because he was incarnate. Now what do we mean by incarnation? It means that he was actually God in the flesh. He was God. Remember, Philip said, we want to see the Father. And he said, Philip, how long have I been with you? And I've told you, if if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Isaiah 9, 6, I and my Father are one. These three are one. How many scriptures do we need? He is God in the flesh. And it's interesting because we have the Trinity, and yet we have the, the three, but yet we have the one, three and one. So here we see him as one with the Father, yet at times we see the separation of function, there's no doubt about it. In fact, it's interesting because he set a perfect example of submission to the Father. Even though he was part of the Trinity and equal with God in many respects, he also submitted to God as the final authority, as his son. So he's the son of man, Luke 5, 24, his incarnation. Then in Matthew chapter one, verse one, We have the title, Son of David. We mentioned that earlier. Now we'll explain a little bit about that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. And what does that mean? Well, many generations between David and the Lord. We explained to you there's 14 generations three times. Remember that? When did I explain that? Well, I think a couple Sundays ago. And we know that he was a son of David, not, not his immediate son, but many generations. The Bible uses the same word to describe a son as a grandson or a great-great-great-great-grandson. So he's called here the son of David. And what does that really mean? It really gives the royal connection that the Lord Jesus has. See, through Solomon, the Hebrew people, uh, Jesus is heir to the throne. Remember, Jews required their kings to be an heir, to, to, to have uh, got the throne because their, parent, their dad was the throne and it passed from generation to generation down through the centuries. And no one will sit on the throne again until Jesus sits on the throne. But that he was a son of David made him king. And, of course, we know that, he, that the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ comes down through Mary's side rather than Joseph's side because of Jeconiah and his sin. And we know that there's other reasons for that, but he was born of a virgin. He's the son of David by Mary physically, and he has a right to the throne. And then also in Matthew 1.1, it says, son of David and son of Abraham. Well, the son of Abraham, what does that tell us? He's the father of the Hebrew nation. He's also called the, the second Adam. Adam's a, Adam's a father of the human race. Abraham's a father of the Hebrew nation. But Jesus, unlike Adam, didn't fall. Jesus is the second Adam. What Adam lost, Jesus regained. When Adam sinned, Jesus took care of the sin of the world. So he's also called the son of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, and his lineage is given. Genesis 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Tell us that because of him, by him, all the people of the world will be blessed by his seed. How would all the people of the world be blessed? Jesus Christ would provide redemption and offer it to the whole world. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not not his will that anybody dies and goes to hell. That's a false teaching. That all they're destined to hell, they're not part of the elect, they're going to hell. My Bible says over and over, whosoever will may come. And so we believe that he died as the father of the Hebrew race. He died for all the people of the world, shed his blood. And, of course, Abraham in his seed would all the nations be blessed. So you see, Jesus is a child of Abraham through Mary all the way down through the years, through David and, and, and Solomon and, and, uh, and, and so forth. So he's also here the son of Abraham. Then in Matthew one sixteen, and we're going to go here, and then from here we'll jump over to Luke. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now it's interesting. He's the son of Joseph, but only because Joseph's the husband of Mary. You see, it says here, "And Jacob begat Joseph. It doesn't say, and Joseph begat Jesus, does it? It says the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Jesus was born of Mary. Look at Luke three twenty-three. Luke 3.23. And it's interesting how this phrases it. He wasn't born of Joseph. He was born of the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.23. And it says here, and Jesus himself began about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, as was supposed the son of Joseph. In other words, he wasn't, Literally, Joseph's son, Joseph was his earthly father, you know, for a few years. But Joseph uh, was only his, really his stepfather, is what we would say. And so here he's called the son of Joseph as supposed. He's not born of Joseph, he's born of God. You see, uh, because the first Adam, sin entered the world and the human race fell, the second Adam defeated sin. Jesus is called the second Adam. So he's a son of Joseph, he's a son of Mary, he's a son of man, he's a son of David, he's a son of Abraham, he's a son of Joseph. Now Luke 1:32, back up a few pages. He's called here the son of the highest. And by the way, being the son of Abraham really points to his lowliness, his humility. He was called a bastard in the Bible, you know that. Criticized, talked about because everyone knew Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. I mean that's an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment in America till about the sixties. But you know here in Jewish culture to be with child and not be married would be an offense where you could be stoned for it. But of course God protected him and enough people believed to protect him and God took care of him. But in Luke one thirty-two, he's called the son of the highest. And I mentioned earlier how he submits to God. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Son of the Highest. What does that mean? It speaks really of a submission to God the Father. He submits to God the Father. That's interesting. He's equal with God, the Bible says. He's God in the flesh, the Bible says. God will turn all judgment over to him, yet he submits to God who is the the highest. I like that. And then, of course, we want to turn for a few moments to Luke one thirty-five, just a few verses from here. It says, And the angel answered and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. This is a verse we read earlier. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which, is, which shall be born of thee shall be called what? The Son of God. Finally, he's the Son of God, the Son of God. He's addressed as God the Father several times in Scripture. And we know that uh, the devil has always challenged him. Even Satan called him the Son of God. There's one title Satan never refers to Jesus by and that Son of Man because that would be admitting he is God. Satan will admit he's the Son of God. He challenges him in Mark chapter 4. But he admitted in, in Matthew 8, 29. We'll see where he admits Jesus is the Son of God. I'll read that, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 8 verse 29, here, here it says here, and behold, they cried out, saying, we have, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou what, Son of God. Now, Satan wants to do away with him, but he's recognized as the Son of God. And Nathaniel, I love the story of Nathaniel in John chapter one and verse 49. What a great story that is about Nathanael who's without guile. we talked about this Wednesday. And he sees the Son of God ascending and descending on a ladder to heaven. He's the Son of God. All these titles apply to him. And then lastly, we'll turn to John 1:12. And I know I'm just about out of time, but we're just about finished. John chapter one and verse 12. And I love this verse, but as many as received him, To them gave he power to become what? The sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You know what the Bible enables us to do by faith? Become a child of God. Did you know what that makes us? Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Boy, that's something, that we're joint heirs with him. Isn't that something? You know, he's so deserving of all of our praise and glory to be referred to as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, to be called a child of God, like Jesus was a son of God, we're also called sons of God. And we know what failures we are and how many mistakes we make, and yet God elevates us to that position. The thing I love about God and His grace and mercy is that He shows a great amount of respect for us once we come into the fold. Once we're born again, God looks at us as perfect. He calls us priest. Did you know that? We're priests with God in Christ. He calls us saints. You know, a certain denomination teaches that only a select few become saints. My Bible says that every born-again child of God is a saint. And you say, Pastor, a saint, you ain't. You're right. You're right. The difference is you see my faults and sins, but God doesn't. He looks at me and He sees the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the blood. What a tragedy to, to know he had to suffer so much, but I love what the blood did for me. It may be a saint in his eyes. It made me a priest. What does that mean, Pastor? It means I can go right into the presence of God and talk to him face to face. I can go boldly before his throne, not when I have sinned, but when my sin's confessed. I can go to his throne and talk to him about everything. I'm amazed at David and, and how he prays and how he sings throughout the songs. In Psalm 142, he says, I pour out my complaint to you, God. At times, he complains about God, and God takes it because God loves him. And then David realizes what an idiot is, and he confesses, and God forgives him. Fellowship's restored. But how many times in my life have I gone to God and say, God, why don't you deal with this? Why don't you help me with this? I'm faithful. I'm trying to serve you. Please deal with this. Haven't you done that? Sometimes you get mad. I've gotten mad and said things to God I'm ashamed to, to tell you about it. And isn't it amazing the tongue no man can control? You're trying to start your lawnmower and all those nasty things are coming to your mind and you're thinking, man, I want to just curse this lawnmower, you know? And over the years, I'm sure that I've had a struggle to keep the, the tongue from saying some things it shouldn't say. You say you're a pastor. I know that, but I'm also a sinful person. And saved by grace. You can't control your tongue. When you think you can, you're going to slip up and say something ugly to someone and say, I can't believe I said that. Oh, we're capable, because <laughs> we're broken people. But I, but I love that God honors us and calls us his children, his heirs, priests, and saints. I told a fella he had a face of a saint, a Saint Bernard. but. <laughs> God really means we're saints, you know? And I love that about God. And you notice when Paul and the the, the church epistles, he always opens up with the saints at Corinth, the saints at Ephesus, the saints at Galatia. I love that. That's inspired that God, through Paul, calls us saints. And so be appreciative of your position in Christ. We have a great position. And don't use your position as a liberty to sin. Paul said, Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, my Nazarene friend came to me and said, Will you, Baptists, believe in eternal security and I don't believe it? And he said, You just think you have a license to sin. And I said, Oh, no, we don't. God chastens His own. In the Bible, Paul asks, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" And then he answered. He said, God forbid, and that means God will not allow it. What does God do if we continue in sin? First of all, he warns us, speaks to our heart, then he chastens us, and sometimes he can kill kill Christians and take them out of the world. You say, Pastor, I've been struggling with sin for 20 years. You know, what does God do? Well, let me tell you the difference. You confess it, and once you confess it, in God's eyes, where is it? In the depths of the sea. Someone said, the reason there's no more sea is because our sins are there. In the New World, the Bible says there'll be no more sea. It's because our sins are in the bottom of the sea. That's what God does with our sin. They're behind. I heard Jay McGee today, I just, just about to shut my car off, and Jai Varnon McGee, you know who he is? He talked about forgetting those things which are behind. I didn't didn't do him good. Jay Vernamy, I do, I just can't speak anymore like him. But he, he talked about pressing towards the mark because all those other things are behind us. And the moment we confess, what happens? Our slate is clean. The catheter's in, the yucks out, we're clean. Praise God. And so I'm thankful tonight for his sonship and for my sonship, because I'm a child of God. And as many as received him, till they gave you power to become the sons of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the privilege of being a child of yours. We thank you for Jesus, the incarnate, perfect, virgin-born, Savior, Son of God, Lamb, Lion, the one who can be everywhere at the same time, be all-powerful, all-knowing, who knows our hearts, and who sends his word to convict us of our sin and expose us for what we are. God, thank you for our Lord, the Son of God, the Son of man, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, and the Son of God, your Son. Thank you for sending him to die for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.